Well, in February 2018, uh, I was serving as a church planter in San Francisco, and I just reached a really painful end to our last church planning project that we were working on. So this is February 2018. I was struggling and my family was not doing well. And it was really clear that the Lord had slammed the door shut on this new church that we were wanting to start. And so this was just a few weeks before I met some of the folks here at New Life. So that's kind of the time frame of where this was. But I was at a moment here where I was incredibly discouraged. And I remember, I, I, I wrote this all down so I'd remember it later. February 7th, 2018, I was going to a meeting early in the morning. And I got up and I got on the bus. I was, you know, living in the city. So I kind of head downtown on the bus. And I was sitting there reading my Bible, really seeking some encouragement from the Lord. And there's a guy at the next stop, got on the bus. And he sat down next to me and he saw my Bible. And he said, hey, is that a Bible? I said, yeah. He goes, I got my Bible too. And he reaches in his backpack. He sits right down. He pulls his Bible out. His name was Joaquin. He told me his whole story about how he had come to faith the previous year and how he's in a discipleship program, in a training in his church. And so I started to tell him a little bit about myself. I told him I was a church planter. And I think he could just see it in my eyes that I was not doing good. And he reached across on this bus put his hand on my arm, and he said, can I pray for you? And he prayed for encouragement and strength. And, and I'll never forget his words. He said, pray for wisdom beyond your years, for uh, whatever the Lord needs to bring in order to encourage me with his presence today. And so he says, amen, and he looks up and he catches my eye. And this is what he said. He said, be encouraged. God says he will never leave you nor forsake you. Where he leads, he feeds. Again, this is like weeks before we start the whole process of coming here, okay? But I, here I am at this moment looking. I mean, just, I was distraught. And, and, and I looked up, I, I started to tell him about how the last few months had been really hard that I was just so grateful for this encouragement. And he says, you know what? It's totally God because I overslept my alarm today and normally I'd be on the earlier bus. <laughs> he said, that like never happens to me. I'm on the same bus every day. And he said, for whatever reason today, I'm here on this bus. So he said, it was the Lord. Now I'll never forget the promise that he shared, that he reminded me of from Deuteronomy 31. This promise also is for you, dear friends. God says to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, right up front, I want to tell you one of the most important things that you can know about being a follower of Jesus. You are not alone. Now, of course, we have each other here in the body of Christ and that's a wonderful gift, and that's one of the reasons why we get to follow God together. But the text we're going to look at today is not necessarily talking about that reality, but an even more fundamental reality. Most fundamentally, you are not alone. Because when you trust in Christ by faith, you have the personal presence of God indwelling in you, the Holy Spirit. 
This is the promise fulfilled. I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, we've been working our way through this account of Jesus and his disciples in the upper room on the evening before he goes to the cross. And, and, and in a similar way, the, the, to, to my experience, when I heard these words, the disciples are discouraged. They're confused. They're struggling to grasp what Jesus is telling them. Jesus essentially looks at them and he says, I'm about to leave to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to ascend to be with the Father. I'm going to leave you. And oh, by the way, when I leave, people aren't going to treat you well. Oh, oh, and by the way, you're going to encounter suffering and struggles. Oh, and by the way, you're going to get discouraged. You might even wonder how you're going to go on day by day as my followers. And he says, I need you to know this. You are not alone. I will send you the Holy Spirit. You might have come this morning discouraged. Frustrated. Maybe things that are conflict and struggles at work or, or frustrations in your family or you're encountering an illness. You might be hurting. You might even be questioning how you can go on day by day. As a follower of Jesus, with the difficulties that we face, I want you to know this, and we're going to see it in our text so clearly. The presence of God is not distant. The power of God is not hidden. The purposes of God are not unclear. The advocate, the helper, the comforter is near. This is the promise we see in this passage, that the spirit of truth is part of God's plan for his people, part of his plan for you and for me and for us together as the body of Christ. It's the re he is the reason we are not alone. Open with me to John chapter 15. So grab your Bibles. John 15, verse 26, and then we're going to read through chapter 16, verse 15. If you need a copy of the Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to have you follow along here with me. We're going to be reading this uh, last two verses of chapter 15, and then uh, the first 15 verses of chapter 16. And this is a specific passage about the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were with us a number of uh, weeks ago, we previously went in John 14, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. We focused on who is the Holy Spirit. We spent time learning about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But today's passage now focuses not on who the Holy Spirit is, but the work of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? So let's read. John 15, verse 26. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. 
Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Amen. This is the word of God. All right, when we examine this passage, what we're going to see is Jesus helping us understand the work of the Holy Spirit in sort of three different movements or three different parts, right? So the Spirit's role as our advocate and comforter is threefold. First, bearing witness, which we're going to see in the first two verses, verse 26 and 27 of chapter 15. Secondly, convicting the world, verses 1 through 11 of chapter 16, and then guiding the disciples in verses 12 to 15 there. So, The Spirit's role is bearing witness, convicting the world, and guiding the disciples. That's kind of what's going to shape our time together this morning. So let's jump in and look at the role of the Holy Spirit as bearing witness. So go to verse 26. First thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus tells us the name of the Holy Spirit that he's used prior in chapter 14. The advocate, or some of your Bibles say helper or comforter. Now this word advocate... I'll remind you, it means one who is called to someone's aid or who appeals on behalf of another. Sometimes or frequently this word is used in sort of a legal way or a courtroom kind of context. You're coming alongside to bear witness, to, to, to advocate for someone, to come to their aid, to appeal on behalf of that person. Now, what we learned in chapter 14 is that's a very, it's a deeply personal word. It's not abstract. And the key to understanding this kind of comfort, this kind of help, is recognizing our desperate need, our desperate helplessness. When it comes to the advocating, the helping, the comforting work of the Spirit, we need to remember we're not alone. Those moments when we do feel desperate and helpless, we have to remember, and this is even in in the way Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, we remember that God has sent His Spirit to come to your aid. Now, did you notice the Trinitarian shape of this sending? Okay, let me just read verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Do you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all there intertwined in in all of it, in, in the Son sending the Spirit from the Father who proceeds from the Father and then who testifies about the Son? All of the persons of the Trinity are here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in unity in bringing about in their union of being one being in their their roles that they play in working out to bring about the purposes of God. Now, Jesus illuminates the purpose, the reason, the role of the Holy Spirit and it's to testify about Jesus. 
Now, this word testify is a key concept in the Gospel of John. It's going to affect everything in our text, especially today. Okay, this word is used 31 times in John's Gospel. It's more than half, it's about half of the times that it's used in the entire New Testament, is, is just John here. And so, this word is central to John's understanding of Jesus and his interpretation of who Jesus is, and then Jesus himself uses it as John quotes him over and over again. Now, to testify is a legal word. You need to picture it this way. To testify is like a witness on the witness stand, bringing testimony of what is true about someone or how the events really happened. So the key here, whenever you have a testimony, Whenever someone testifies about what is true, there must be a verdict. This is what we have to just grasp here at this moment. When this word is invoked, when John keeps bringing up this idea of a testimony about Jesus and who he is and what he has done, whenever there's a witness on the witness stand, it means that there's a question that's been asked. It means that there's a problem. It means that there's something that people desire to know. Is this true? It demands a decision. So giving testimony implies that we need to decide about that truth, about who this person is or what they have done. You remember last week we talked about this? You can't be neutral about Jesus. And here this very next passage talks about the testifying, about who he is, and are you going to respond? Now, this is so important because Here's what you need to know just about John's gospel as he uses this word. The gospel of John is evangelistic. John tells us that in chapter 20, verse 31. He says very, clear, very clearly, I wrote these words that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, what's your response to these truths? There must be a verdict. There must be a decision. See, as this plays out, this word testify in the Gospel of John, the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel, what they think is they think they're putting Jesus on trial. Every time they encounter him, they're speaking words and they're, they think they're testing and, and, and putting Jesus on trial, that he's the one on the witness stand. The reality of the entire thing is that Jesus is actually putting the world on trial in everything he does and says. It's like reversed. We are confronted with this question. Who is right? Is the world right? Or is Jesus right? Either the kingdom of this world is right, or Jesus and his kingdom is in the right. It can't be both. And so this is where we see the primary role of the Holy Spirit. To testify that Jesus is who he says he is. To bear witness to the glorious reality of the supremacy of Jesus and his kingdom. But it doesn't end there. Look at what happens next in the next verse. Look at verse 27. And you also must testify. For you have been with me from the beginning, Jesus says to his disciples. Okay, don't miss this. We are also commanded to testify about Jesus. This is the only function about the, the role of the Holy Spirit that overlaps with us. 
Okay, we don't do the convicting work as we're going to see later. We're not the ones illuminating scripture and guiding other people. There's all these things that the Holy Spirit is uniquely doing in and among and through his people. And this is one that overlaps where the text says the Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. And guess what? You also must testify. There's a relationship there or a connection that we need to understand. In other words, what we need to see is that as Jesus speaks these words, he's saying your life is a living witness. As the Holy Spirit has done his work of changing, transforming, redeeming you, and then as he's changing, as you're living in a different way, your life now, your words and deeds, they display the verdict that Jesus is Lord. They put that on display. Your whole being is to be a monument to Jesus. You, dear brothers and sisters, are the living proof that the free gift of salvation by grace through faith is true. That, that our actions as followers of Jesus are to cause people around us to be confronted with the same decision. Is Jesus right? Or is the prince of this world right? The Holy Spirit, as he works in us, bears testimony through you. Okay, in light of this call to testify to the truth of the gospel, okay, we need to remember, as, as we've been encouraged already this morning, you are not alone. It's, it's through the Spirit's work that we can testify at all. It's his work in our lives that we bear witness. And in light of this, we have to ask ourselves, whose job is it ultimately, when we testify about Christ, to work in the hearts of people? To make that verdict a reality. It's the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the next section. Okay, convicting the world, verses 1 through 11. In verse 1, I, I love this. We see the purpose of why Jesus is calling his, telling all of these things to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. They're going to encounter opposition and persecution. They're going to get disillusioned and discouraged and, and wonder what's going on. And he doesn't want them to be discouraged and fall away. So pick it up in verse 1, okay? Pick it up in verse 1 with me. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away, Jesus says. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Okay, let's stop there. I want to draw your attention to a key word that's there. It's the word service. Jesus warns them that people in that first generation of believers, especially, they're going to encounter this opposition. People are even going to want to kill Christians thinking that they're offering a service to God. A great example of this is in Acts chapter 8. Stephen had just testified by preaching this sermon about Jesus as the Messiah and they stoned him to death and standing by approving of it all is Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul. People are laying their cloaks down at his feet saying, you lead us, you go persecute these Christians on our behalf. I mean, you see this all play out in the very next generation. Now, this word service is one of the words in the New Testament for worship. It's really fascinating. Another example of this is Romans 12.1, where we're encouraged, as later Paul will say, to offer our bodies 
as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. That's the exact same word. Now this, for the disciples to hear this, picture this moment, for them to hear these words in the upper room is a curious and painful reality. That they're about to face this reality that likely their own Jewish friends and family are going to disown them or even try and kill them. Thinking that they're doing God's will. And Jesus is posing this question to them. He's saying, what are you going to do with that? And what it, what it is, is there's a double meaning. The entire thing gets flipped on its head. Because as we read this and we see this word, service or worship, gets flipped upside down. In the eyes of those who don't agree with the verdict that Jesus is really who he says he is. In their eyes, the persecutors, they think that by killing a Christian, they're offering worship to God. And the reality is, that death of that believer, Stephen, for example ironically, is, as he is martyred for his faith, an act of service and worship to God, but not in the way that the persecutors thought. They thought by destroying the Christians, they were doing the right thing, and it turns out that those martyrs are following through with exactly what Jesus desires of his followers. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, as Jesus says these words, can you imagine the gravity of this? This is a high and challenging, difficult calling. And he looks at his disciples and he says, it's necessary that I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come, so that you are not alone, so that you can face these things as you testify about me. Now, why? Why is it necessary for Jesus to leave? There's a theme across the Bible, especially in the prophetic passages that look ahead to the New Testament, that pointed to this over and over again. There's this sense of the coming of the last days is the way the Bible talks about it, or the messianic age, or the, the dawning of the kingdom of God. And, and it's said that the spirit of God would indwell God's people. Now, a perfect example of this is Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27. This is, a, this is God speaking to, through Ezekiel to the people of God, pointing ahead to the future age. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There's this fundamental change that will happen with the dawning of the Son of God, of the Messiah. This reality that there's this sense that the new people of God that this pointed ahead to, constituted under the new covenant, submitting to the lordship of the Messiah, will receive a new heart, will be born again to new life, and that this can alone be done as a regenerating work of God himself by his spirit. In other words, when we talk about the convicting work that's needed for us to move from death to life, from lost to found, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, is a work of God. And so here's the point. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. In verse 7, he says, all of this is for our good, that he leaves, that he gives us his spirit. And it's because that convicting and guiding work 
goes far beyond the expectations of these disciples who could not imagine what it would be like for the Spirit of God to ignite a worldwide response to the gospel through his people. This is not even a category they can understand. It's a new reality that the truth about Jesus reaches far and wide through the Spirit-empowered ministry of the church. And this is why Jesus says, it's necessary that I go, that the Spirit would be with you and with you and you and you and believers across time and across the world. You see, Jesus at this moment, he's looking at these discouraged and frightened disciples. They're about to form new communities of faith, testifying about Jesus. And he makes sure, he wants to make sure they know one thing really clearly. It is as you do your testifying about Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit's work to convict the heart, not yours. He says, don't forget this. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the heart, not yours. See, remember, John's gospel demands a verdict. And the world, through the influence of Satan, has tried to say to Jesus, you are wrong. But Jesus' resurrection, his ascension... They prove that he is who he says he is, that he is in the right. And the Holy Spirit will come and continue this vindicating work in three specific ways. Okay, go to verse 8. This is what the work of the Spirit is in convicting. Jesus says in verse 8, When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And then Jesus goes on to explain these realities. So let me just highlight them for you. You'll see them on the screen as well. First, verse 9, about sin. Because people do not believe in me. In other words, the core of the world's sin is unbelief in Jesus. That's the central issue in the hearts of people. Is unbelief in the true Savior and Lord. Okay, secondly, about righteousness. Verse 10, the world needs to see the supremacy of Jesus. Look at how it, it unfolds here. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. In other words, we, we emphasize this reality of the supremacy of the Son of God sitting at the right hand of the Father with all authority and all power. This is what needs to be seen as we testify. And then about judgment, verse 11. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Friends, I need you to hear this. Satan doesn't get the last word. He's lost. And Jesus says, you got to understand, he is condemned already. So when you go to testify, when the Holy Spirit's working through you in this reality, you got to understand that the most fundamental thing is a lack of trust, belief, surrender to the Supreme Lord of all, Jesus Christ. And you need to remember Satan's already lost. This is what we remember and understand that just as the disciples needed to hear this, the Holy Spirit does the work of convicting of sin. The Holy Spirit does the work of convicting of our lack of submission to Jesus. The Holy Spirit does the work of, 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 of convicting of the false claims of the evil one. You see, through the Spirit of God, the verdict is in. Satan's lost. Jesus won. 
That's sort of the heart of what Jesus is communicating of this convicting work that the Holy Spirit does. Now, armed with this knowledge, we need to see the last part of our text because now, now we see how the Holy Spirit guides the disciples. And this is picking it up in verse 12. Now, look at verse 12 with me again. Imagine this moment. This is like a, as I was studying and reading this kind of repeatedly through this week, this just stuck out to me. Where, I, I just want you to picture the scene. Jesus is having this intimate conversation with his disciples. He's sharing all this new information. He's alluding to his impending death. He's telling them that he's going to leave them. He's warning them about persecution. He's telling them that there are threats upon their lives. And you can see, I could just imagine at this moment, the fear and the anxiety and the confusion welling up in these disciples. And you can see it in their eyes. And at this moment, Jesus says, he hits the pause button and he looks them straight in the eye. And he says these words in verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. He is so tender and compassionate at this moment to to look at his disciples and I can just see him pausing and looking them in the eye and saying, I know friends, this is so hard. But I want you, this is what he reminds them of. He says, I want you to, I want to remind you of this most important reality. You are not alone. I will send you the spirit of truth as he says, who will guide you into all truth, as verse 13 says, that he won't speak on his own. He'll speak the words of Jesus, that he will glorify Jesus through the disciples. See, what I want you to see about this guiding work of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit's ministry is what we call Christocentric. It means centered on Jesus. He is all about bringing attention to Jesus and guiding us to know and love Jesus. In other words, another way to put this is the truth that characterized the spirit of truth. When, when Jesus says the spirit of truth will guide you, the truth that characterizes the Holy Spirit is centrally the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls the spirit the spirit of truth because he's saying he's going to point to the ultimate reality about me and about what I've done for you. Now, there's a theologian and, and pastor named J.I. Packer uh, passed away a few years ago, but he's sort of a generation ago. J.I. Packer was an, an incredible uh, theologian. He wrote a number of books, one of them, a classic called Keep in Step with the Spirit. And in this book, he calls the Holy Spirit's ministry a floodlight ministry. And I just love that term. He says the Holy Spirit's ministry is like a floodlight ministry and Jesus is the one highlighted by the beam of light. In other words, you might not necessarily see the beam of light itself, but you certainly see the one whom the beam illuminates, who is Jesus. In other words, light always overcomes darkness, just as the Holy Spirit always shines glory upon Jesus and guides us to know what is true about Jesus and what he has done for us. See, what I want you to know today, when you're discouraged, when you're facing difficulty, conflict or failures, or, or honestly, like we're out in living in this world, when this world seems to pronounce its verdict upon Jesus, 
I want you to remember this promise that my friend Joaquin, that I met on the bus, that he told me years ago. You all need to remember this as well, that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus has made good on that promise from Deuteronomy 31. Because not only did he come in the flesh, God himself, but he says, I'm going to leave. But guess what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the promise that has been for my people from the beginning. And I'm going to make good on that because the Holy Spirit will come to dwell in you forever. Whoa. See, friends, the advocate, the helper, the comforter, God has sent his spirit to draw us into intimate fellowship with Christ. To guide us into all truth. See, remember John's gospel makes this so clear. There must be a verdict. We testify about the reality of who Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit is the one who shines light on the answer for you, for me, and then through you as you interact with people who are in darkness. That the Holy Spirit will shine light on the answer that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we need you and, and, and your presence by the Spirit. I, I, I know just knowing across this room, these dear brothers and sisters, the different things that we encounter. I know some are dealing with struggles and joys. And, and, and as we've been in this passage that the disciples are dealing with discouragement and, and confusion or or, or fear, Lord, that you have made this promise come to reality. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Thank you for that, Lord. We glorify you because of that. We testify to who Jesus is through the Spirit's work in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that across this room, you would bring encouragement and comfort by your Spirit today to remind us of your intimate presence, that we would see your guiding work to illuminate the truth about Jesus, to illuminate our path as we follow Jesus, that you would do that work in each person here. We need you. Thank you for your presence and your guidance for us, Lord, and how you work in this world to bring us to faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.